When Jesus saw his ministry drawing huge crowds, he climbed a hillside. Those who were apprenticed to him, the committed, climbed with him. Arriving at a quiet place, he sat down and taught his climbing companions. This is what he said. So the Pew Research Group and Barna, uh, two polling groups, did a survey of non-Christians and they gave them a list of words and they say, pick out the word that best describes Christians. Any guess about what word they picked out? This was overwhelmingly the most picked word. Any ideas? Hypocrite was number two. So really close. Judging. Judgmental. They, they literally, the most common picked word by a non-Christian to describe a Christian was judgmental. And yet, one of the most well-known teachings of Jesus is what? Judge not, lest you be judged. Even if you're not religious, you've never been around church, you know that saying, you know that phrase, you know that teaching. Um, maybe you've even used that when some Christians like, mm, you shouldn't be doing that. You're like, hey, didn't your master teach you judge not, unless you be judged? Who are you telling me something? And yet, the first thing that comes into people's minds when they think about Christians are that we're judgmental. We're literally defined by the opposite of what we should be. Over the last few weeks, we've been exploring the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus explains, this is what it looks like to live and love like me, to be a student of my way of life. And we're going to pick up in the last chapter of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7, and we're going to read verses 1 through 6. Here's what Jesus says to his followers. Do not judge so that you won't be judged. For you're going to be judged by the same standard with which you judge others, and you'll be measured by the same measure you use. Why do you look at the splinter in your brother's eye, but you don't notice the beam of wood in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the splinter out of your eye, and look, there's a beam of wood in your own eye. Hypocrite. And Jesus used the same word that, uh, you know, the second most common word that's used for us sometimes. Hypocrite, first take the beam of wood out of your eye, and then you'll see clearly to take the splinter of wood out of your brother's eye. Don't give what is holy to dogs, or toss your pearls before pigs, or they will trample them under their feet and then turn and tear you to pieces. Uh, we live in an interesting world today. We live in a world of cancel culture, right? Cancel uh, culture is like you do something wrong and they're like, we're just done. You look better just not exist, right? If you, you made a mistake, you're done. We're, we're just, uh, there's, a, there's a quote in, we're re-watching Parks and Rec, my wife and I, we love that show. And uh, Tom Haverford, one of the characters, he, he says, you're going to get on my dunzo list. We're dunzo, you know? And that's kind of what cult, cancel culture is. But I think culture learned the act of canceling from the church. This isn't something they came up with. We practiced it long before the church did, or long before the culture did. The church would be like, mm, that's not right. You're dead to us. We're never going there anymore. We're never talking to you anymore. You're dead to us because you did that. Cancel culture is when we dismiss an entire person because of one decision. Cancel culture says that if you love someone, you're approving of their worst mistakes, so you better just hate them. Jesus, though, is saying that when we love someone, we're saying they're not defined by their worst mistake or their worst action or their most inappropriate behavior. 
When Jesus is talking about judging, he's not talking about never making a decision, right? You make a judgment every time you choose someone to vote for, whether you choose a restaurant to go to. We have a hard time making a judgment about what restaurants you go to. Well, Darby and I will be like, we're hungry. We're like, where are we going to eat? She's like, I don't know, you pick. I'm like, no, I don't know, you pick. And then we can't make a decision, right? He's not saying never make a judgment. But what Jesus is condemning is when we look at a person and we dismiss them based on the way that they look, or something that they said, or something that they did. Um, I have a, um, maybe a gag uh, producing picture here. Um, so some of you are gonna be really offended maybe by the picture on the left or on the picture on the right, and you're really gonna wanna judge one of those groups. One thing both groups can agree on, right, is judging anyone who voted for Kanye, or didn't vote, right? And you be like, oh, those are the bad. We can both agree to judge those people. Um, some of those are judging people based on how they voted, or how they look, or how they how they behave. And when we define people by what they look like and what they did, instead of defining them as God does, we're we're walking away from the teachings of Jesus. God defines people as made in His image and capable of reflecting His divine beauty and goodness. They're more than just one vote. They're more than just one decision. They're more than just one lifestyle. It's when we define people, or rather, Jesus is telling us we must, or Jesus is telling us that our tendency is to hold people to a higher standard than we hold ourselves. That we look at somebody else and we say, I expect them to do better than I would actually do. We have higher standards and expectations for the people around us than we do for ourselves. And he's warning us, if you're going to judge people, if you're going to hold them to a high standard, you should expect to be held to the same standard. Now, Jesus uses this really dramatic image in his teaching to try to get this point across. Um, he talks about having a splinter in your eyes, so just like a little tiny dust particle. You probably can't even see this from up there. In the first century, it was an agrarian culture. There were plants growing everywhere. It was dusty and windy. You've got stuff in your eye. And um, this was a common occurrence. They would have been used to that. They were used to getting something stuck to their eye. And he says, you know what? Some of you um, look at somebody else and think, oh, they got something in their eye. They really need help. And he says, the problem is you don't realize you got something in your eye too. And it's like, it's a big difference, right? He's like, they've got this in their eye and you've got this. And you're like, man, they really need to change. They've got a problem. And Jesus probably going for the laugh here, right? He probably picked up a stick as he was teaching. The crowd probably laughed. I don't know if you can handle that, but Jesus probably made people laugh sometimes. You know, I like that more about him because uh, that was true. Just remember, when you look at somebody, you're like, look what they're wearing. Look what they're doing. Look who they're voting for. Look how they live. Look at this. Look at that. Jesus says, just remember, you've got a much bigger problem. You have a lot more problems than they do. It's easy to look at the little problem in somebody else and not realize all the big problems that you have. We tend to set high expectations for other people and then make lots of excuses for ourselves. Jesus wants us to realize that the little issue that we see in our neighbor or in our spouse or in our partner or in our coworker is nothing compared to all the issues that we have. 
The little thing that we see in somebody else, it just irks us. We're like, they really need to fix that. That's really wrong. That's a destructive and dangerous behavior. Jesus is like, you've got so much more stuff. So the next time you see someone doing something or saying something or looking like something you want to condemn, condemn, stop and realize, I have a lot more issues than they do. I see this one issue in their life. I've got all kinds of issues in my life. Now you say, well, Alex, I don't believe that. You know, there's some people who really have some bad issues and I'm pretty good. I didn't say that, right? Jesus said that. He says, when you see a splinter in somebody's eye, you have a log in your eye. Now, growing up around churches, once my family started attending church, um, I heard this saying, hate sin, but love the sinner. Anybody ever hear that? Something? I don't think that's what Jesus is saying. I think Jesus makes it really clear here, love everybody and hate your sin. Right? That's what he's saying. He's saying, you've got a big log. You've got a log sticking out of your eye. You've got a big plank. He says, you need to hate your sin. Stop fixating on the tiny splinter in their eye. So you say, okay, fine, Alex. I will never talk to anybody about anything they're doing wrong. I'll just be like, everything's good. We just won't ever have any hard conversations. Um, that way, I'll never judge anybody, and we'll all just be happy. I don't think that's what he's saying either. To just say, well, I'll just love everybody and never have any hard conversations and never talk about anyone's issues. See, love longs for people to become their best self. And that means sometimes having a hard conversation with someone that you've built trust with and that you have a relationship with and say, hey, I really care about you. And I see this thing stuck in your eye and I think it's irritating you and I think it's keeping you from seeing clearly. I think it's hurting you. I think if it stays, it's going to be dangerous and destructive. Let me help you get it out. In the first century, mirrors were not commonly available, and when they had them, they weren't very good. If you had something stuck in your eye, you had two options. You could rub it until you damaged your eye, or you could ask somebody for help. And so Jesus isn't saying that people don't have a splinter in their eye, that they don't need help, but he says you need to walk into this saying, no, you have a lot more issues than their one little issue that you're trying to help. You need to come with humility, and you need to recognize that you have a lot more to deal with. Jesus is talking to his disciples here. That's who the Sermon on the Mount is for, his followers, those who say, we're going to learn from you how to live and love. And he's telling them, you're going to need each other if you're going to grow to become like me. There's going to be some splinters in your eyes that you're going to need someone else to help you take out. You're going to need some people to lovingly walk up to you and hold your eye open as they pull out what's stuck in there. I don't think that most human growth happens in a classroom setting. You can gain information there, but I don't think it changes who you are. I think it happens through relationships. As you spend time with people, you begin to be changed by them. And Jesus is saying, if you want to be a disciple of mine, a student of mine, you're going to need other people. You can't do it on your own. I mean, sometimes people tell me, they're like, I love Jesus. I want no part of any type of Christian community, right? I'm just doing this thing on my own. I study my Bible, but I'm by myself. Man, I need sometimes for a loving person to walk up to me and say, Alex, I saw you do this. And I think, I think that's going to hurt you in the long run. Like I need some mentors in my life who say, hey, Alex, I've heard you say this. What do you mean by that? Because I think you're starting down maybe a dangerous road. I need a loving wife sometimes who says, aren't you preaching on judge not lest you be judged? Like you just yelled at the guy who made that maneuver on the road and you just did that a mile back. So judge not lest you be judged, Alex. I need that. So thank you, Charlie. Right? We need that in our lives. 
But when we help someone grow in one area, we need to approach them with the humility and the love and the understanding that we have a lot more areas where we need their help to grow in than they need from us. We're not the moral authority. Jesus is. Whew, that takes a weight off of me, right? I don't have to be the moral authority like you're the pastor. Not the moral authority. Jesus is. Eugene Peterson, he was a pastor in Baltimore, and uh, I love his writings. He also worked on the, uh, the paraphrase of the Bible called The Message. He says, in the company of Jesus, we are all beginners. And I think after a while, we're like, I've been a Christian for a while. I've been following Jesus for a while. I've learned a lot of the Bible. And you start to think, man, I'm kind of like a higher rank. And some of these people, they're lower rank, you know. And uh, I, can, I can help them get up to my level. Eugene Peterson's like, we're all learners. Jesus is always the master. None of us ever arrive where we're like, okay, I'm Jesus level now. You can start like, uh, you know, coming to me instead of him. And then Jesus says something really, really weird, right? Did you catch it when we read the passage? He's like, some people have a splinter in their eye. We start judging them for it. We don't realize we have a plank in our eye. And then he says, oh yeah, let me tell you about some dogs and pigs and things that they do. Did you catch that last verse? It's really weird. Verse 6, don't give what is holy to dogs or toss your pearls before pigs. Anybody do that? You're like, here's a nice pearl necklace. Here's some pigs. You know, I'll just feed them pearl. Nobody does that, right? Um, what's he talking about? Like, this is such a weird passage. Now, scholars debate about this because it, it is unusual. And there, it seems like, how does this fit into what he said before? Um, here's my thoughts about it. I just got a puppy this week. Hackard's back here. Michelle's holding him. Um, he is an adorable little puppy. I think we've got a picture up here as well. He's the cutest puppy in the world. It's just, it's confirmed. He came with a certificate, cutest puppy in the world. No puppy can defeat him. I love him. He's adorable. He's named Hagrid um, because after the half giant from Harry Potter, of course, because he's so big, you know, he's ginormous. He's tiny. My wife and I got him as an anniversary present for our seventh anniversary, and I love him very much. But I would not give him my marriage certificate to hold. Like Hagrid, here, keep this safe, man. You know, like you're a good dog. I love you a lot. Hold on to our marriage certificate. He would not respect it. He might pee on it. <laughs> He might eat it. He'd most certainly chew it up and tear it up. I mean, he would not keep it safe for me, right? You don't give something holy to dogs. You don't give something precious or valuable to a dog. Because as good as he is and as smart as he is, he doesn't recognize the value of what I'm giving him. He's already destroyed half the toys we've given him. He has no sense of value in this dog. The same thing with pigs, right? You don't give something valuable to pigs because they're not going to be like, oh, this is something precious. We should protect it. They're going to eat it because they're a pig. Despite the existence of piggy banks, pigs don't make good safety deposit boxes. So if you have valuable things, don't give it to your pet pig. Um, my, my nephews had a pet pig for a while in their house, uh, Jiggles, and uh, he was an adorable little pig. But he ate everything. He ate their baseboards and was then eating into their walls. Because he's like, there's something good in here, you know? He just would destroy anything. Anything you drop, you eat. You don't give precious things to pigs. And so here's what I think Jesus is saying. Sometimes we come to someone and we say, these are the teachings of Jesus. They are holy and good and true. They'll transform your life. And they're like, I have no respect for that. I don't know Jesus. 
I have no respect for his teachings. And in fact, some of them might chew it up and spit it out or tear it up and say, you know what, I have no interest in that. And some people are more like the wild boars or the pigs that Jesus describes here, where you throw them to them and they actually turn and try to trample you. Like, why are you trying to give me this teaching? And we're like, because we love you and we think this is a good thing that will make your life better. And you're like, how dare you judge me and try to give me something? And I think what Jesus is saying here is, Sometimes we have the right intention, but we try to force something on someone who doesn't understand it. Sometimes we try to impose the teaching on Jesus, of Jesus on those who aren't his followers, and they tear them up, and they honestly act like we're not doing them a favor. They act like we're actually attacking them or condemning them. People who haven't committed to follow Jesus shouldn't be expected to keep the standards of Jesus' teaching. It always used to crack me up. Um, when I was in Tennessee, people would be like, oh, do you see their behavior over here? Oh my gosh, that, that's against the Bible. I'm like, yeah, but they, they don't even believe the Bible. They don't think there's a God. Why should I be surprised when they don't follow the Bible? They're like, yeah, but they should. We should tell them that what they're doing right now is sinful. I'm like, I don't know how helpful that would be right now. They'll probably just tear that up. They might even turn and think we're attacking them. Um, but I don't think that they're going to appreciate that. What they need to hear about it's a loving God who would die for them and rescue them from the worst parts of themselves and give them an opportunity to live a full, abundant life in Christ. So I think that's what Jesus is talking about here. Um, I think that this is what Jesus is trying to tell us as he talks about pigs and dogs at the end of the section about judgment. For some Christians, they feel like they are the morality police for the world. You probably know some people like this. I know some people like this. Sometimes I become a person like this. Um, maybe sometimes you become a person like this. You know, somebody says something online and you're like, that's wrong. And I need to let them know. I majored, my undergrad major is in English and Bible. And so I'm a grammar, you know, policeman sometimes. And somebody says something, I'm like, mm, that's, it's an adverb. You should have used an adverb. My wife's like, don't be that person, you know? <laughs> but I am that person sometimes. And sometimes I act like I'm the morality police for the world. That's not my job. Man, I'm so glad about that. What an exhausting job to constantly try to police everyone else's behavior when, in the words of Jesus, you haven't been policing here very well, right? You've got a big log sticking out of your eye, but you're like, I'm going to clean up everybody else. Then I'll get to me and my problems, right? We're not the morality police for the world. My job is to love people and become like Jesus. The Holy Spirit is the moral policeman for the world. In John 16, 8, Jesus says to his followers, after I die and come back to life, then I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. So is it my job to let people know how sinful they are? I've got to really convince them, right? No, the Spirit's going to do that. God invisible working inside of people is going to bring them to a point where they're like, you know what? I've got some destructive, dangerous stuff. Sometimes I choose what is selfish and it ends up hurting me or hurting others or hurting the world. And I need, I can't get rid of it. I don't know what to do with it. How do I, how do I put to death this broken, destructive thing inside of me? And Jesus says, I'm the answer. I put it to death on the cross. Come and be my student. See, my job is reconnecting people and God. My job is not condemning people, looking at them like, mm, they're off on this. 
judgment. You know, they're wearing that judgment. They're doing this or saying this or voting this judgment. No, my job is not condemning people. Jesus says, stop looking at people in order to condemn them so that you can feel superior. Instead, look at people in order so that you can love them so you can be like your master who laid down his life to restore the relationship between God and mankind. I find as we grow in religious obligation, we tend to get more judgmental. But as we actually grow as students of the way that Jesus lived and loved, we actually become more full of grace. We become more like Jesus. We show the same grace that he showed us. You know what grace is? When we do something wrong, when we do something destructive, God doesn't say, man, I've got this club. I put some nails in it, and it is ready to bash you. Because you messed up big time, and I've been waiting for this. I'm so excited. That's not the God of the Bible. We have a God who when we mess up, we do something wrong, we blew it. And God says, I'm going to do good despite what you did. And you're like, God, I don't deserve it. He's like, you never do. I'm just a God who loves to give good when you do wrong. God is judged. We are not. Loving people who are doing something wrong doesn't excuse their behavior. It just implies I'm not the authority to define whether or not they are good or bad. That's God's job, and I'm not going to take his job away from him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for this challenge to my own heart. Forgive me for so often being a moral policeman who's like, oh, look what they're doing wrong. Look what that person, I can't believe that pastor posted this. I can't believe that this person did this. Lord, I'm trying to take your job. Your judge, I'm not. My job is to love people and introduce them to Jesus, and you're going to sort out everything good and bad at the end of all things. I can trust you. You've been so gracious to me. Let me show that same grace to the people around me this week. I pray all these things like Jesus.